I think they did a, a survey of 10,000 youth from across I don't know, a dozen different countries, you know, and it was something like 80% said they were worried or concerned about the climate and 60, 65% said they were extremely concerned, which is fine, right? Like it's okay to, to be concerned about something, but um, they're just not given a creative outlet for that. Sure. Right? Welcome to Thrive in the Future podcast, positive solutions to help you thrive, homestead, garden, and designing your intentional life. This week on Thrive in the Future, Rowan from FoxTwinHollow.com and FoxTwinHollow on Twitter joins Thrive in the Future to discuss empowering youth with survival skills needed to navigate our world. We jumped off off the engagement and conversation on his tweet, quote, I am planning my upcoming class on how to help children navigate climate anxiety, a trend that is skyrocketing among youth. What term do you feel best summarizes the opposite feeling of despair, pessimism, dread, and helplessness? End quote. So this is really good because we talk about solutions instead of fixating on the despair. Let's get in the episode. Okay, welcome back to Thriving the Future. This week I have Roman from Fox Twin Hollow on Twitter and also foxtwinhollow.com. Welcome, Roman. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited. Sure. So one of the things that stood out to me on foxtwinhollow.com was that you were a forest school teacher. Can you give a little bit of background on that? That sounds real interesting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how far back you want to go, but um, just the, the concept of forest school is that we teach all of the traditional subjects, reading, writing, math, just outdoors. So it's, everything is done in the woods, in the wild, in the garden park. And But we teach all the traditional subjects and we meet all the standards. Well, that's great. So give an example of how you apply that. Yeah, I think one of the the easiest ones, and it's something a, a lot of folks listening might understand, is like it's really fun to teach math through botany, mm-hmm. right? And especially with a younger group. So then, you know, you can talk about counting the leaves, you know, counting the stems, the sepals, you know, the pistils, those sort of things. And then you can combine two flowers and talk about addition, subtraction, multiplication, those sort of things for the younger grades. And then um, as you get, as you start working with the older grades, then you start scaling up more complex problems as well. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. And then if you're building anything or measuring anything, then that's more realistic fractions than the abstract stuff in school. We were out at a regional park. I was going to take my students fishing and unbeknownst to us over the weekend, um, you know, there had been flooding that washed away the bridge. Oh, so um, it you know it became a learning moment. So we got really excited. Like, what are we going to do? Let's build a bridge, right? So then, um, I had my co-teacher find a way across. Went to the other side. And we threw a a rope over. We measured it, and you know we taught the kids about fractions, inches, feet, those sort of things. And then we had saws and, and knives, and we had permission from the park rangers. We were able to fell some of the um trees we actually had permission so we cut some trees down and and uh the kids learned lashing and knot tying and you know through that um project you know we also taught dendrology so we learned about the tree what is the role of this tree in the ecosystem and what habitat does it provide um but then again yeah like math we could we talked about um what we needed to build and have the kids all draw it and sketch it out on their pads and you know, what started off as a disaster ended up being uh, an amazing, memorable day. 
Wow, that's just amazing. And learned lashing and and knot tying and everything. That's amazing. And you have a quote on there from Jesse Wolf Harden about the values of our various tribal uh, and primal ancestors. Those values that were common to us for the first 100,000 years can serve our return to lives of balance today. Yeah, it's a lot to pretty deep. There's a lot to dig around in there, but a lot of the, the skills um, that children learn or should be learning anyways, are mm-hmm. you know, just stuff that our ancestors did stuff that our, even our grandparents did. Right. If, sure. if we're talking about fermenting or um, just learning how to whittle, how to use a knife, just very simple tasks. And uh, I think in my opinion, it's what the kids want to learn right? It's what they kind of need to learn for their proper development and especially in an outdoor setting. So um, they really excel and, and they they thrive when uh, they're learning these skills, whether we're talking about ancestral skills like building a fire or whether we're talking about more, um, whether we're talking about gardening or permaculture, regenerative agriculture, soil building, um, you know, making a shelter. All of these things are what the child really uh, wants to learn. And when we get a chance and the opportunity to show them these things. Um, you know, they, they blossom like you wouldn't believe. Well, that's great. I, re- I really like the idea also of being out there and then experiencing the seasonality and seeing just last week where we were here and these buds were out this week, we're here and the buds are not out. And then the development and everything else that nobody looks up anymore. And even seeing mm. the phases of the moon Last year, we had five planets cross the sky for several months, and nobody really paid attention. What's uh, Ovid's Metamorphosis says that the beasts were made to look down, you know, because they're grazing, and but mm-hmm. man was made to look up. So, I like that. And not enough of us are looking up, and we yeah, everything's washed out with city lights anyway. That's one of the beautiful things about getting them out of the city getting them out, you know, away from all the distraction and the noise and the concrete and everything is getting them out where they start to reconnect with those senses and, and reattune to mm-hmm. those sort of things. And and that could be turning over rocks and looking, you know, for worms, but it could also be looking up, looking at the stars, looking at clouds. Like I remember just yeah. laying on my back as a kid and watching clouds, and, you know, shape shift and everything. And, and it seems like, I mean, for a number of reasons, technology and, and society and everything but kids they don't have the patience for activities like that but we have found that or my experience like once they get outside they they start to return to baseline and then they might be fidgety they might be distracted by all the stuff that's going on but eventually they they fall back into their rhythm mm-hmm. and then they are patient so you know we've had kids that were that had to leave traditional schooling because they were too it, it wasn't the right setting for them it was too confining with all the the walls and then staring sure. at a book and sitting at a desk and and so you know they were seen as having behavioral problems or you know too much energy for the the teacher to deal with and you know once they go to like a four school or outdoor school any kind of learning environment that's more natural then they fall back into that rhythm we find that a lot of those behaviors actually disappear right yeah they call that dysregulation nowadays so <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I would think getting kids out where they're actually in nature would would rectify that and they like you said reset. 
Yeah. So one of the things you also talked about was deep time and the sense of deep time. How do you look at that? That's a, it's a great question. I think it was Dave Foreman. I don't know. Uh, some listeners might be familiar. He was one of the co-founders of Earth First. Mm-hmm. And then he started another organization that I think it was Wild Earth, perhaps. And it, and it looked at it like um, all of these pockets of wildlife in the United States, they wanted to connect them with corridors. So all the, the animals had a way to, to get to all the wild places that they need. But at any rate, uh, he was one of the co-founders of Earth First. And he said the most radical idea is deep time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just um, to let you know like how old everything is around you. It's like really humbling. So so where I am in uh, Appalachia right now, the the mountain right outside my back porch like, is older than the rings of Saturn. Wow. So you know I can go out there and I can sit on you know a rock that's that old and it's it's really like humbling and it keeps my ego in check and but it also helps me realize that you know it's been through a lot and it's going to be through a lot and everything's going to work out wow that's great older than the rings of saturn so how do we go about especially instilling in kids how to develop that tribe that we've been missing right everybody is looking for meeting everyone's looking for community but they're not finding it electronically they're not finding it even at school how do you develop that in your in your programs and things you know, one of the the great things, actually, I'm I'm excited. Like a lot of people see our current situation as like very doom and apocalyptic, and right, you know. And I just look at it, and I think that just means we have so many different places where we could start. Mm-hmm. Right. That just means we have so many opportunities to help out. Right. Right. So we can like literally start anywhere, whatever your desire or passion or hobbies are you can start right there and start helping build community, right? So like we're, we're almost spoiled with all these opportunities that we have. And so I just, I choose to see it as that instead of all these problems we get everywhere. But so as far as like finding kids, helping kids find their tribe and their community, um, you know, it just starts with folks like, like you that are just putting down roots and working in their community and setting a good, example of good livelihood good living uh caretaking the earth Mm -hmm. right and you're going to inspire others you're going to inspire neighbors and folks you meet at the farmer's market or you talk to at the you know um, tractor store or the co-op or whatever and it just has this beautiful um result where it ripples throughout the community Right. right and uh and that includes children too like having kids come out to your farm um, if that's what you have, having field trips from schools, um, having, you know, family days, um, having opportunities where kids can come out and learn some of these old time skills or come out and and, uh, and volunteer and help out in the garden. And, you know, they always love it. Even the kids I know that sort of dragging their feet when they get off the bus, if they're coming from like a public school on a, on a field trip or something, they by the end of the day, they all love it because that's it's in their DNA to love playing in the dirt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We've been uh, we work work on these uh, workshops to build community, and it's basically we're not experts, but we're still going to get stuff done. 
we have some chickens we need to process because we have too many roosters. And at first we're like, well, have you done this? I, I haven't done this before. Have you done this? And well, I did it once. Okay, well, let's get together and we'll figure it out. And instead of looking for the expert, we can't have a workshop until we enlist the expert. Mm-hmm. We just got together and and worked it out <laughs> and went and worked some stuff in some guy's garden or trim trees or, or whatever else and, and did a property walk on one of our friend's land evaluated his his soil and everything and we didn't have to wait for an expert we just talked it out yeah and and that's another thing too about like where we're at we have we're we have so much information right mm-hmm. um i think especially some of your younger viewers or listeners might not realize how good they have it you know like in the mid nineties, you know, all we had was we would have to search out these rare books and get it through interlibrary loan or something. But now you can, you can just hop on YouTube and and look at, you know, sustainable communities in Japan, right. And learn these new gardening techniques, or, you know, you can learn about eco villages that are being, you know, started in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that there's all these resources there. So like you said, we don't really need um, to wait until we become an expert at something. We just jump right in. And kids don't care. I mean, you know, they want to learn stuff. They want to work with their hands. They want to learn these cool skills. So, you know, one thing I always tell them a lot, if I don't know something, like if I don't know a plant, right? I say, that's an awesome question. I have no idea. Let's learn it together, right? Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. That that humility and to see that failure is an option, I think is real important. Because it's always about, no, no, you got to get this. You got to get this kind of grade. You got to always be right. And to admit that, hey, I don't know. You see the shock on a kid's face when you tell them that. Because they're like, well, wait a minute. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Right. And that's and that's one of the things, too, that was difficult for me, like, as a student. Right. And then also when I worked in a public school was the the teachers felt this pressure to know everything. And then if they didn't, it would somehow shatter this illusion of their as an authority figure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when when really, like, what is going to make a connection with a kid the fastest is if you get on their level and you're like, that's that's exciting. Let's find out what the name of this tree is. Let's take a look at the leaves. Let's look at um, the edges of the leaves. Let's um, look at all the patterns and the details of the bark. Let's see what it's growing near. And let's learn it together because... Then also, as you're um, authentically enthusiastic about it as well, you know, um, you're going to feed off each other. And that energy of being um, like autodidactic and, and like wanting to learn more, um, you know, it's infectious and, and, and the kids will pick it up, too. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, that's good. So one of the things that was intriguing in one of your tweets was, we're seeing a lot of kids that are just bummed out because they're constantly berated with the climate doom and they wonder whether they have a future. You had some interesting suggestions on how to help kids with that, what they call it, uh, climate anxiety. <laughs> it's been coming up actually a lot in our dialogue. And then I had a, a parent recently ask me about it. But in addition to that, like the people I know that work in the fields of medical, mental health, therapists that they're they're hearing it like more and more mm-hmm. being reported by by kids and then i think they did a, a survey of ten thousand youth 
from across I don't know, a dozen different countries, you know, and it was something like 80% said they were worried or concerned about the climate and 60, 65% said they were extremely concerned, which is fine, right? Like it's okay to, to be concerned about something, but um, they're just not given a creative outlet for that. Sure. Right. So um, with anxiety, you know, it's just, it's essentially like a feeling of worry and um, it's triggered by the unknown or the uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. right? So when you marry that with climate, then, you know, you have kids that are worried because, you know, they think the earth is on fire and everything they know and everyone they love is going to die right. you know, in their lifetime, which is pretty heavy to put yeah. on kids' shoulders. Right. Or, or if we only have X years or whatever else, it's like, right. why should I try? Why should I go to school? Why should I have kids? You know, why, right. why, you know, and stuff like yeah, that. Then, yeah. Then you have like um, this, this overwhelmingness and, and, um, and then it becomes, you know, nihilism or indifference and, and apathy <laughs> to an alarming degree. Um, so you know, for me, it's it's not really. I actually don't care where people fall on the debate. Sure. Um, it's it's like this is a reality that kids are um, dealing with, right? And so for me, the the approach is is something that's creative, something that is regenerative, um, something that's positive, right? Positive solutions so they can have a thriving future, <laughs> and. Um, and it and it has to be something concrete that that they do themselves because there has to be a sense of accomplishment, mm -hmm. right? Because if not, then all of their action, all the action that we're seeing now, a lot of it is all symbolic. Or um, I think you know some people might call it virtue signaling, um, or you know, as you alluded to earlier, it could be like um, this almost nihilistic. Um, you know, we're seeing people throwing soup or mashed potatoes or gluing themselves to stuff or or blocking roads and preventing like working class people from getting to their jobs. And I feel like this is just because um, the kids deeply care about something. They just haven't been given the right tools right, to do something, right? Well, um, and that's one of the main things yeah. is the tool instead of you know everybody's looking for somebody else to do something you know for oh well technology is going to save us and then i can continue with the lifestyle i have and or government's going to do something or industry is going to do something or whatever else right and right. uh and that robs folks of their agency as well right yeah and th and that's like to me, that's where um, I feel kind of compelled, you know, in, in this calling, because I see this as a branch of, of environmental education, which I do. Mm -hmm. So when um, I work with my students, um, I always have like two criteria to ask um, whenever they're thinking about a solution, right? <clears throat> and that is, does, does this solution regenerate the land? Does it protect it? Does it build soil? You know, th those sort of questions. Sure. And um, does it lead to more freedom? Right. Mm -hmm. Because um, 
there's a really interesting author named Freddie Perlman. He said that nature is essentially a community of freedoms, right? All these animals and plants and, and bugs and insects, and they're all interacting with each other in this big community of freedom. And, you know, humans are part of that. So right. do our solutions lead to more freedom for us and more wildness or wilderness? And um, that's where I think a lot of the energy could be focused, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think, um, you know, when I see kids and protesters and activists, um, they have good intentions, their hearts are in the right place, um, but they don't know what else to do. They just look on social media or something and they say, well, we're supposed to march, we're supposed to hold a sign, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's our only option, right? And a lot of those, um, a lot of those actions don't lead to more freedom and they don't, you know, they don't help the land, mm -hmm. you know, and, and especially a lot of that could be like co-opted or exploited into different movements and people, you know, throughout history have always used youth and, and children as, as like political pawns and chess pieces. Um, so I think with like small scale farming and hunting and gardening, forest farming, permaculture, like this whole beautiful holistic um, movement that we're right. all a part of. It offers the kids so many different um, positive creative outlets that could lead to them being more free in nature and helping to create more free communities that are based on localism and, you know, based on their bioregion and, and based on, you know, just being a generally a good neighbor and sharing, you know, what you have with your neighbor and helping them out in a time of crisis and actually creating the world they're afraid that they're losing. Wow. Creating a world that they're afraid they're losing. That's great. Cause that, like you were saying, instead of marching, go and plant a tree at least. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So in the, a few years ago, there was a, a huge um, climate protest. And so everybody at my school, you know, took the day off. And they chartered buses and drove the kids to go, you know, to this protest where they held signs and, and they marched around. And, you know, that's, I guess I'll, t I'll take that over, you know, kids being on playing video games or something. At least they, they care about something. Um, but I was the only teacher at the school who actually took my kids out into the woods and we started planting native trees and, and we removed invasive species and, and we, uh, we removed, um, there's a large patch of English ivy, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, we, you know, we did this project as a group, which is one thing too, is that um, collective action, like group projects, because we're social creatures, right? Sure. And when we do, when you do an activity together, you know, you're telling jokes, you're uh, sharing stories, you're singing songs, you're creating memories, right? And memories that are grounded in good, in good times that are grounded in the land in the place mm -hmm. that you're working at, but you're also doing a good deed by uh, removing invasive species. And so we had all this ivy left over and then we um, wove baskets out of it. Really? Wow. So then you have like something functional. So, you know, the, the, like the permaculture approach of multiple functions. So, um, you know, we were building community, removing invasive species, we wove baskets and then those baskets, you know, they could actually be used to go out if you're foraging for, you know, 
chanterelles or morels or you know it could also go on your the bookshelf when the kids get home and then they have something they could look at that's a visual memory mm-hmm. of this time when we were like literally saving the earth but also it's something functional they could carry into the future right yeah plus you're using the yield to use the permaculture term right yeah even though the ivy was waste you know it was still yielded used it positively that's pretty amazing yeah absolutely and so and yeah we did uh we planted a a bunch of trees Mm -hmm. and um you know it's one of those things where if you know you're going to die tomorrow, you'd still plant a tree today kind of thing. And right. and that was great because I know that these kids can go back and return to the spot and say, I planted that tree and that tree over there and this tree over here. And then, you know, they revisit over the years and see it or even bring back their kids or grandkids to sit under it one day and, and uh, share stories. Wow. Yeah, that's great. So did you get any pushback from the school by diverting from the, from the uh, protest and, and doing the positive thing? Um, well, you know, there's, there's the, um, I understand, you know, we need to be seen mm-hmm. the bigger, the crowd, the more media we get and, and everything. But, um, you know, I think I've, I've done enough. I've spent enough time in like activist circles to to understand um to have a good argument against it right right I certainly understand if, if that's what people want to do um and actually my daughter was in one of the classes that went and so of course she asked my permission if she could skip school to go mm-hmm. and um, i said sure but i'll give you a homework assignment right there's tens of thousands of people are mm-hmm. going to be there you're going to see Ten, hundreds of thousands of signs, logos, shirts, buttons, flyers, pamphlets, right? Sure. You're going to see hundreds of thousands of signs. And I want you to, to when, you know, I see you next, just tell me how many have like a concrete solution. Wow. Yeah. And um, zero. yeah which i think i think speaks to this problem of you have so you have we have this um so much potential Mm -hmm. in our culture right now we have so much awareness and so much energy um but we have nowhere to to channel it or we have few places to channel it or at least the the amazing work that people are doing you know um uh it's They, it might not get as much attention, right? right? Mm-hmm. So um, we have all of this amazing potential right now, and um, it's all being sort of funneled into a march, right? With no, if we took, I was thinking about this, and actually, I was explaining this to my students, and I said, you know, there's going to be thousands, tens of thousands of people. You know, what would happen if every one of them planted? five trees today right. right and there you go another math problem we can do. Mm-hmm. yeah plus you planted native trees mm-hmm. you know so many people when they do those type of things they're planting like bradford pears or something I, I have my whole my whole pasture has been taken over with the calorie pears the the 
bastard child of the Bradford pair <laughs> that's all thorny. And I don't know where it came from. I think it came from down the street, but you know, and uh, so it's, it's good to be planting the native trees instead. Yeah, we, we did a lot of that. You know, we had a, a garden that we would go to regularly. Um, we have, we, you know, but this could be done anywhere, right? So if right. you're, if you have uh, listeners or viewers um, that want to sort of get more involved, it could be done at a city park. Mm-hmm. You know, if you live in New York or Chicago, um, it could be done in your own backyard. Right. Right. There was this, um, one of my favorite stories is this woman that lived in a suburb and she started studying the wasps in her garden. And um, she found like some that were unknown to science at the time. Wow. Right. So um, the, I think one of the quotes I, I used in that when I wrote about it was that nature is so diverse and so full that or nature is so full that if you want to find the place with the most diversity, it's the place you study the most. Mm-hmm. Right. And so according to some, there's a hundred thousand living things in a cubic foot of soil, right? If we count like microorganisms and everything. Sure. So, you know, we don't have to go to the woods. You don't have to, to go out to, um, you know, uh, national parks or anything, you could go in your own backyard and, and have your kids start turning over rocks and see what kind of cool stuff is there. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. Final thoughts? Um, No, I'm just uh, happy to be on. I, I've, I've been enjoying your channel. I like, um, I think one of the things that kind of attracted me to this line of work was, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can be, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of negativity. There's a lot of uh, people who ask why when you right. want to do something, right? And you want to be around people who want to ask how, mm-hmm. right? Because we had, um, you know, like, I don't know, like maybe growing up, you had the kids where if you said, uh, you know, I want to build a skate, skate ramp or something. You know, you'd have the kids and say, why? Like, who wants to do that? And they were always a bummer. They were the, you know, no fun (laughs) to hang around. But you would have the the one kid that goes, yes, how? How are we going to do that? Right. And so, you know, there's so much like nihilism and negativity going on in the world that um, when I kind of discovered like uh, permaculture and forest farming and, and, uh, primitive skills and these sort of things it it was great because it was uh you know so much as um there were so many like positive outlets it seemed mm-hmm. like we talked about earlier it's just anywhere you start um you know there's something to do and um it also connects us back to our ancestral skills our caretaking you know while we're here on the earth sure and um you know if you believe in um, the creator that put us here to give us dominion Mm-hmm. Um, that's beautiful. I was, uh, talking to, uh, we used to, we used to live at a natural building center and we had a, um, a Christian college come and give a tour. And, uh, some of the people at the, the natural building center, you know, kind of rolled their eyes and didn't want to give the tour. And I, you know, I did, I thought it was great. And I had a great talk with, uh, the professor who talked about dominion and the root word means 
dom, like domicile and domestic. And right. it just means home. You know, we have to take care of our homes. So, you know, if, if you believe that we were put here for a reason, we were put here to caretake the earth, take mm-hmm. care of our home, you know? And if you believe we evolved to be here, then, you know, what's, what's our role as, as humans, we evolved to be caretakers too. Sure. So, you know, it, it goes back to just, um, having a positive regenerative um, impact on the earth too, right? And that could be, like I said earlier, with the climate change issue, whether you believe it's um, a hoax or a scam or whether you believe it's real and we're all going to die, you know, within a few years, it doesn't matter because the answer to both is the same, right? We have to, we have to live in a way that creates more freedom for people and more wilderness. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and have realistic actions instead of just talk. Yeah, absolutely, concrete actions like, um, you know, you know, doing what you can to every little every little bit of like food you can grow, or hunt, or raise, or butcher, or forage. Every little bit helps mm-hmm. because it gives you that much freedom and that much independence and that much autonomy. Right. Right. And it also gives you that much of a stronger bond to your land or the, you know, your, your bioregion or your holler or wherever you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, that's why it's good to hear all these uh, inspirational stories like the folks you have on and um, all the folks that are, they're doing good work. Every time I, I see that, I just, I can't help but uh, become optimistic about the future. Sure. That's good. So what's uh what's your favorite thing to forage this month? Um you know I'm uh my wife made some poke that she cooked up recently that was amazing. You mean pokeweed? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so okay. We have, and then uh morels were coming up that she cooked as well and I'm just you know absolutely spoiled to be married to her. <laughs> and um, we also have um, uh, leaks out here, or ramps, which are ramps. like a, a wild leak. Sure. <clears throat> so we have all those coming up uh, this time of year, which is really exciting. We have uh, redbud trees, mm-hmm. and um, they're just so incredibly fragrant that it's it's amazing to walk out right now. And uh, <sighs> yeah, I think that's that's what I'm really excited about this time of year. Yeah, what's what's happening in in your neck of Kansas? So in Kansas, let's see, I've got henbit going. Um, lots of uh, plantain are coming up. So I have plantain along the walks. I planted some perennial plantain in the garden, and that's coming up. So that's that's really nice. And uh, the lilacs were out; they're just about done, and they just they just take me back to like five years old. So, (laughs) you know, and and it's just amazing because that memory is so strong Mm -hmm. and it, and, and that's just amazing. And then chickens are, are starting to free range and the, and the yolks are getting good and dark yellow again, orange and rich buttery taste to it. Mm -hmm. Just stuff like that. It's really great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's great around here. We have uh, some uh, baby ducks. 
Oh yeah. That are, they're getting a little bit bigger and, and we have just this little Creek, but there's, I mean, I wouldn't call it a waterfall, but you know, it's like a, a little mm-hmm. a ripple or something that makes into a little small pond in the, in the Creek and just watching them duck and dive and, and preen. Um, yeah, I could sit there and do that. I could just watch them for hours. It's so entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I think too. And like you said, it just it creates those memories. Like when kids see that kind of stuff, and and it's hard now because we have to compete against technology. Mm-hmm. Right, we have to compete against online games and video games and and social media, and uh, a lot of them aren't aren't being given tools to to sort of regulate that and so it becomes an addiction and, and they're missing out on so much cool stuff that's happening right yeah that's yeah. great very good thanks for being on yeah hey thanks for having me i appreciate it thank you for listening to thriving the future podcast like us and follow us on your favorite podcast app next time on thriving the future podcast Coming up on Thrive in the Future podcast, Homestead Padre is back and we talk about living with depression on the homestead. That's coming up on Thrive in the Future podcast.